My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 97 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. <laughs> this is also my first episode recording where I have a Cinepunks tattoo. Finally. Oh, that's true. I don't yeah. know if, if, if for some reason you listen to the show and don't follow our social media. I mean, first of all, you're fucking up. But second yeah. of all, um, you might not know or you might not be aware that Josh got a killer badass is that what i want to say a killer badass cinepunks tattoo yeah it's pretty funny i think i think it's i think it's pretty established now that we are in fact a gang yeah we're basically a crew yeah you know it's cool we we got varsity jackets coming soon with block letters printed on the back that says yeah crew it's coming don't worry about that we're like a nefarious social club yeah 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 we might be a uh, a hippie kill cult Oh, yeah. Thank you for referencing. <laughs> this is the most obvious pull, and I just missed it all together. It's so good. You're welcome. It happened while you were yawning because I'm so engaging of a talker. No, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and let the audience know right now. I am wrecked, and I have no idea why. Um, I didn't even – well, I you know, I've been having a little less sleep lately for two reasons, Josh, and I'll fill you in on this. One, Let me know. One, I think the temperature change is messing with our cat, and the cat has been – unnecessarily aggressive while we're trying to sleep just waking us up at like four in the morning three in the morning five in the morning you know what i mean that's so early i'm saying (sighs) it's just annoying and i don't know why it's happening so that's one thing two like much of america who i do not see myself as superior to (laughs) i have been watching the 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 throne game the the fight for the the fight for the throne Right. 2019 2019 throw fight and uh, i've been watching it and so then sunday nights i get i don't get as much sleep but you know i did okay last night but for some reason tonight i'm i'm feeling it guys i'm feeling it y'all so i mean wait are you feeling it because of the emotional exhaustion of being a game of thrones fan is that what it is i, I mean i will for I mean, one, I, for like an hour a week your heart rate is up at like, you know <laughs> 120 140 bpm <laughs> no, I mean, I will say I, I have been a little stressed on it, but more like I, I, uh, last night's episode was quite harrowing. But, uh, you know, I I find myself more like frustrated, like not stoked. I'm not entirely stoked on this season. Like, I just feel like I wanted the final season to be like a real treat. Yeah. And by treat, don't don't be wrong. I don't mean pleasant fans are the, the show doesn't care about your feelings you know what i mean uh yeah. and when it and when it does that's when it's at its worst when it does stuff that i think it's doing to make the fans happy that's when i think the writing is the absolute worst that's like not what i'm pandering to the audience kind of yeah 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 yeah. it doesn't do that a lot but when i feel like it does that's that's bad no 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 no, no. it's more like um the pacing has been real bad so a lot of things happen that i feel like Makes sense, but they don't build up to it well, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah. I don't want to spoil. The people have been real uptight lately about spoilers, so I'm no, not trying to I spoil. It. I get it. Spoil Dude, nothing. Episodic storytelling that people like don't always aren't always able to see right when it comes out. So I get it. It's fine. I guess if that's true. I don't know. Here's here's the deal. I f- I just feel a little differently when it comes to TV. And don't be wrong. If you're listening to this, I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to say what's up, but I will say that I follow a diverse group of people on Twitter. And um, some of the people I follow on Twitter have been spoiling TV since Twitter began. Like, Whoa. that's just what yeah. they do. They they watch TV and they tweet about it. And for them, it's a way to 
respond. And one of the things they do if they're smart is they hashtag their tweets and then you can just block the hashtag and hopefully you don't see it. But the idea that like no one would tweet about something while it was happening, like uh, I get why someone finds that annoying. Actually, I'm not even saying that that it's not entirely annoying if you didn't get a chance to watch or whatever. Like I, I get that. But people act like it just started. Like I keep seeing people like, when did we all decide that we could just tweet about? Sh-? And I'm like, um, it's like yeah, lots this has of people been a thing, yeah, for year, like for years, it's been a thing. So it's very <laughs> strange to see people all of a sudden getting on their fucking high horses about it. Yeah. Um, so that's just it, that whole thing's weird to me. That being said, I won't ruin it. I'll just say, yeah, I, I haven't been pleased with all the things that are happening, and I think they make sense. Some of them. Uh, I think some of the side smaller stories don't make sense, but the big, big deal plot points, I think, make sense. I just think it feels unearned because the show's writing has not been great for a little bit now. So they just they're just kind of rushing through and it. it doesn't feel like it's all there. But this isn't a Game of Thrones podcast. so We don't talk about it. all I'm saying yeah, is everybody's talking about Game of Thrones. We don't. Yeah, that's true. that's true. That's Plus, true. I've never seen it, which, of course, makes me morally superior to you. I mean, I read the fucking books, my man. Like I'm in it. No, nah, I don't give a shit. You can read all you want. I got, I got, I got fucking fingers crossed that he's gonna get these books out. I'm like the theory that's like the books are done, and he's just waiting for the show to end. He's gonna put them out. That gives me so much like internal joy. Like I'm just like, God, I hope that's true. I just want to read the books. I want you to be happy, so I also want those books to come out. So G R R Martin, holla at your boy. Let Liam read. Okay. Did we say what not, episode this is? This is episode 97, man. Welcome, Welcome. team. Welcome, listeners, to episode 97. We want to, uh, as always, thank our Patreon supporters for making this possible. Uh, your generous support and, uh, you know, I'll say it, love. Yeah. Your love, your feeling, your emotional commitment to us is how this happens. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsor. XLVACX.com, the Lehigh Valley of Pal Creations. Yeah. You you are actually one of the few people who gets that right on the yeah. first go. People I, always mess well, it up. I you do my Justin. best is all. I yeah. do my best. Hey, um, maybe you don't have anything to screen print, you think. But uh, maybe it's time you got a social life and got something to screen print. How about that? Yeah, maybe you, you stopped uh, sitting around and wondering about what you could do. And you got up and did what you can do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you've been thinking a while for about getting your improv group growing or your ceramic <laughs> table or starting your career as a burlesque performer or maybe your gaming club is in need of some type yeah. of screen printed koozie to hide yeah. your beers or maybe yeah maybe you've been trying to start a post-industrial goth rock act sure it's a thing maybe you wanted to start your uh, tribute to this mortal coil <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe we, you just, just maybe you just want to maybe you just want to print funny handkerchiefs for all your friends. Whatever it is, LVAC is where you want to go. They will take your ideas and spin them uh, into just amazing things. And uh, they they're the folks to help you get whatever it is, whether it's a shirt, uh, pants, hoodie, whatever, <laughs> uh, screen printed beautifully. Uh, they are both professional and personable. So go to xlvacx.com and tell Chris Reject that Cinepunk sent you. Yeah, let him know. If you if you're someone who's gotten anything done there because of us, let him know that so he doesn't think we're wasting his I mean, he probably still thinks we're kind of wasting his and, time. Know, he's probably not wrong. But I'm just saying, you know. Whatever. Let him know that CP said what's up. 
That's Cinepunks. CP. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> big up to XLVACX.com and Chris and, and their whole operation. You guys are the best. And thank you for showing us love and showing us support through the past five years that we've been doing this. What? Five years seems so long. But uh, it's totally not. Blink of an eye. Okay. So. Uh, this episode, we are discussing a movie by Agnes Varda. We're going to get to that in the meat of uh, the discussion a little bit later. And that will come directly after our world famous, our internationally known and locally respected segment. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you might know it if you heard its name. Whacking on, on track, man. Oh, that was anticlimactic on your end, Liam. I gotta say, I gotta say, uh, I was dope. You not so much. What? That, I was you, trying. I was trying to catch up with you because you were off. Listeners, tweet about it. Was Liam on track just now? Do okay. you want to do it again? We could do take two. No, no. Jacob's only gonna have one take to play with. Enjoy, Jacob. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Wanna do, oh, you want to do take two? We can try. Yeah, you want to do it? Yeah, I, only if Jacob keeps all this stuff in here. All right, ready? So, uh, yeah, you know, we're going to talk about uh, a particular Agnes Varda movie. Yeah, sure, sure. uh, Specifically, Chloe from 5 to 7. Yep. But that comes after our world-renowned and locally respected segment. A segment copywritten so you cannot copy it or else you'll get sued. (laughs) (laughs) You might know it by the name Whacking on, on track. track. Oh, man. Look at that. See that? That was all right. That's, yeah, that's good. That's good. So uh, Liam and I actually spent uh, some time together, which is cool because we never, ever get to do that anymore. But uh, one of the things that I think is on both of our on tracks is the thing that we're going to talk about right now. And that thing being last Thursday. What did we do, Liam? We went and saw an advanced screening of... John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Parabellum. Dude, how much fun was that? I mean, I had a hell of a good time. It was awesome. I mean, like, you don't want to spoil this movie, and I definitely, having seen it, like, on that Thursday advance screening, like, it comes out this Friday. Uh, If you're not already into the John Wick mythos, and you're already not chomping at the bit for this damn movie to come out, then there's nothing we can say that'll... uh, uh, wet your fancy, I don't think. But that said, if you, like us, have enjoyed thoroughly both one and two, three does not disappoint. I will say that much. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know why, I don't know what it is that will bring you back to this to this series. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think for there, there might be people out there who just really love the um mythology of john wick they might love the world building and the the story of it and i will say that um in those ways the this movie doesn't advance the world as much as i think it could have it definitely doesn't advance the world as much as part two did right it does it's not quite the revelation about this larger scope that that part two was um but it does seem like we're probably going to get another one of these movies so I, I i think if for some reason that's something that you really care about then i don't think you need to worry about that like i think you're going to get more of it if you if you need more i think it's coming i don't think this is the last of the, you don't think of the, this is the final hurrah i don't think so i think if you're if you're dying for even more of this world i think you're going to get it 
Yeah, uh, for sure. If you're someone, if you're dying for more Keanu, yeah, you're gonna get. Yeah, if you're someone like me though, that you know, I appreciate the the writing and the story. I appreciate the world building aspect of it, but really, I'm here for lots of fighting and shooting. That's what that's what draws me <laughs> to the John Wick films, and this film. Ooh, it does not disappoint. Oh my god, it so delivers on a silver platter all the fisticuffs and violence you could possibly want. And the thing about a movie like this is that you really uh, with a lot of this sort of uh combo martial arts, kung fu, action, whatever whatever, the idea with like sequels is like that this that is that the story would get more complicated and they might have some new cool you know, action pieces. But in general, you're really watching because you care about the story and, and it, they don't have to do crazy innovation on all the action things because there's only so much you can do. But right. uh, but this movie pretty much shows that even though you've already made one of the most interesting action films of all time, that doesn't mean you can't do new stuff because they just are constantly innovating in the fighting, in the shooting, yeah. in the crazy action pieces that, like, it doesn't matter, for me at least, that the story... Again, it's not that the story's bad. It just doesn't move maybe as much of it forward as I personally would have liked. None of that matters. The, the story is definitely ancillary to the action pieces right. in this movie. Right, The action pieces are definitely these furtive and kinetic, like, bursts of creativity. And uh, it doesn't hurt that my one of my favorite... Uh, Half Filipino action stars is in this movie. Not going to say who. You're just going to have to see. I mean, they're going to you know. know. It's Mark Dacascos. They're going to know. That's not a what? surprise. I was surprised when I saw him. Well, it's just because so you didn't do your research to find out who was in the movie. Yeah, because I believe in participating in media blackout when I'm real hyped on a movie. Oh. And that's what I did for J-Dub Trey. And uh, let me tell you, it felt awesome seeing my mans from uh, Crying Freeman and Only the Strong. All of a sudden on on the scene, and he's bald like me, so I must be doing something right. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, Mark but, uh, Mark Dacascos is here. Uh, Halle Berry is here. Oh my God, Halle Berry! You knew she was in the movie too, going? In? Yeah, man. I look. I had and no see who's in a movie. Clue. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I wow. mean, I had forgot. I will say, I was still a little surprised at Mark Dacascos because I, I I had heard he was in it, but I wasn't really thinking about it going in. And then when he showed up, I was like, Oh yeah, Mark Dacascos! <laughs> but I also was kind of like. Then thinking like, oh, is there going to be capoeira in this movie? But there was not capoeira. There was no capoeira. That's the, that's the only uh, thing I will say about the action, though, because I, I, I don't want to talk <laughs> about any Like, we could do a whole show where we just talk about all the badassery in the film. But I think, you know, um, there's a couple moments that are not ruined, but that you're aware of because of the trailer. But a lot of yeah. the best parts of the movie, I at least I didn't see in a trailer. Now, I don't. No. I only watched a trailer once. So I guess if you've been like watching it on repeat, there might be things that were, you know, let but having seen the trailer once, I went in, I felt like pretty fresh. And there was a lot of surprising action set pieces in this movie. A lot of yeah. things I just didn't really think were going to happen, happened, and they were crazy. There are also a bunch of things that happen where I'm like, really? That's what we're going to do here? That's where we're going with this? Like, there's a bunch of stuff in the desert that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where we're going? Which, I, I mean, I was I would, okay with it. I would in say retrospect. this falls under the category of story uh, that I don't think all worked. <laughs> uh, again, I don't, I don't, um, I I had enough fun with this movie that I don't want to say too much that could be construed as negative because I don't want to give off the idea that I wasn't having a good time. I did. I had a lot yeah. of fun with this 
movie. But the simple fact is not all of if anything doesn't work for me, it's a few elements of the story and how the story works itself out. Um, weirdly, you know, if you if I were to say to if you were to say to me rather that this is a loosely plotted film that just hangs on a bunch of action things, my assumption would be that that movie might get boring. Yeah. I didn't yeah, find yeah, this movie sure. boring. It didn't get boring for me at all. It, it kept Not me even for a moment. wrapped in the whole entire time. Yeah. And uh, I also don't know if Dan Scully is the person who coined the phrase gun foo, but man, he that was the first time I heard it. 100% that isn't. And I'm so surprised at what you're saying right now that it's like, I'm a sorry. I don't look, I don't Twitter like you do, but um, Twitter, I will say Twitter. That, I don't know. You don't. You don't. No, from? you don't remember Equilibrium. I remember Equilibrium. Yeah, Gun, is that Gung where, Fu. Where yeah, 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 Gun? yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe I didn't get hung up on every single solitary word, and that's probably my fault. I'm sure. But uh, when when Scully was like, "Yo, Gun Fu," I was like, "Yo, great words," and uh, I still think about that to this day. So, uh, uh, you know, in in closing on this little topic here, John Wick three comes out on Friday. You guys have to go see it if you are a fan of action movies. It is an action movie's uh, beauty and uh, wonderful, wonderful installment in the John Wick franchise. But uh, also, I'd like to give a big up to uh, the other people that we saw the movie with, specifically uh, Dan, Scully, and uh, Garrett, and also to uh, Scott Cole and to Adam uh, Cesar, who uh, I was happy to see you guys as well. So, uh, yeah. So, Liam, what have you done recently then, other than John Wick 3? Uh, that has been. I was gonna kick. Uh, I was gonna kick it to you. Oh wow! See, look how quick on the draw I was. Did you see what I did there? Well, it's just because so you cut. I, just because well, you cut me off. Well, but I also do know that you had an eventful week, and I want to hear all about it. I guess I'll start with. I went to the ninth annual X Fest, uh, and in fact, the last X Fest that will be held um, at the International the House. So, box, yeah. We should probably talk about this real quick. The Lightbox Theater at the International House. Um, well, it hasn't always been called Lightbox. We we started going uh, when it was the Ibrahim Theater, and now yeah. it's the the Lightbox Film Center. Um, so the the International House is closing. They're selling the building. Um, you know, folks might remember the Harathon recently, where a pipe exploded. Like, clearly the the building needs some work. Uh, and they've decided that the mission of the organization has changed over time and, you know, a whole bunch of reasons, basically. But they're going to they're going to sell the building. And it's unclear that whoever buys the building is going to uh, still have a space for the light box. In fact, if you know, my cynical viewpoint on that is that whoever buys the building is going to tear it down. Um, right. Now, that doesn't mean that Lightbox won't find another venue to do their programming, whatever. That's all possible. But this theater is closing, which is, you know, a real bummer. I don't... Do you remember the first time you went there, Josh? Yeah, I totally remember the first time I went there. It was for uh, Exhumed, and uh, I think it was prior to their very first... Uh, it was right when Exhumed had switched there. And it was before the first 24-hour horror marathon, because I was at the very first one also. So it was sometime around that. Sure. 
And uh, but I mean, like, dude, that's the thing about Lightbox. Like, they show on film. Yeah. They have the capacity for film. Plus, they have the capacity. Like, I've seen a bunch of Asian American film festival, environmental film festival. Like, so many uh, cinematic experiences I have are tied to that place. And uh, it's sad to see them relocating. But it's also good to know that from what I hear from just through the grapevine, that um, it's not a question of whether or not they're going to continue. It's just a question of where. And um, hopefully it'll still be somewhere that we can all like access pretty easily and it can still be a part of our cinematic lives because to me that place is a huge institution. And uh, not just because of Exune, but because of all the programming that they bring to the for- yeah. forefront and the fact that they are committed to uh, representation of many cultures and identities. And that to me is an awesome and uh, powerful thing. So I really hope it doesn't go silently into the night at the selling of the International House. My concern is not that the organization doesn't have vitality. It's that Philadelphia doesn't have that many uh, physical rooms for them to go to. So like, in order for them to continue, they're going to have to build their own space. And that is that is a daunting task, I think. Um, it is for sure. Uh, but yeah, we, so anyways, uh, you know, I'm going to miss that place. I, I also went to a lot of things there that weren't exhumed as well as to, a, you know, a lot of fun exhumed events. Um, and it's been a pretty important location to me for all kinds of fun things. And, and, and you know, I'm focusing on the film, but you know, I also saw artists present there and talks yeah, and yeah. All kinds of stuff. Uh, you you saw uh, fucked up there. I, I didn't get to go to I that. Did. But, uh, that shit was awesome. Um, I saw but some I mean, other like, musical dude, performances there that were fun. So Asian American Film Festival yeah. was there. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. awesome. And then you think about things like uh, when are you, when are you going to see like Jerry Barta movies projected on thirty five millimeter again in the city? You know what I mean? Like it's a difficult like like concept to wrap my head around because we've always had it, or at least it's always been there since I've lived here. And uh, to me, that's an important that's an important thing. So to the light box of which I'm a member, I love you guys and uh, best of luck where it goes on from here. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the joy of X-Fest, which I mean, it's all it's all related because uh, this particular X-Fest then had. A little, I wouldn't say melancholy, but it had a little bit. Did it of have a, like a, a wistful attitude? Like a yeah, I like, think so. Oh, I mean, I, especially because they announced their next show, which is this like rare Italian movie thing. So basically, they had already been planning a show on June first, June first, Saturday, June first, and they just scrapped the idea. So they were going to do a double feature at night. And when they realized that it might be closing, they just scrapped the whole show they were planning and instead decided to do five rare Italian films that they would not get to be see projected regularly. So that's pretty great. Um, But yeah, there was a bit of a feeling of like, and I'm not sure that everyone who came out knew, I'm sure most people did, but I don't know if everyone did. So there's probably a little bit of shock too. So anyways, uh, here it was X-Fest part nine, possibly the last X-Fest ever, but hopefully not. Um, And uh, I had a really great time. I mean, the first thing, obviously whenever we go to events like this is like, Hey, you know, it was great to see everyone. I got had a lot of good hangs, got to see a lot of cool people, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. But let me uh, walk through the lineup here a little bit. Uh, the first film of the day uh, was a movie, you know, it's on Letterboxd as self-defense. 
But uh, I think a lot of people actually know it under the title that ran with it when we watched it, which was Siege. And in fact, if wow. you if you look it up, all the posters say Siege. I don't know where it was released as Self Defense. Maybe they didn't have the maybe the name was confusing and they changed it later or something. But uh, I know it as Siege. It's a Canadian exploitation film, sort of like a home invasion, but uh, but also kind of not. It's very weird. It's set in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, <laughs> but it has all the grit and intensity of like a New York-based film, which is really funny because it's like, you know, in the 80s, people were willing to put up with the crazy, at least the perception of crazy crime in New York because of all the culture and art. And I'm watching this, I'm thinking, well, what's keeping people at Halifax if it's this scary? <laughs> but basically, uh, what happens is the police in Halifax go on strike. Uh, and while they're on strike, this local kind of like right-wing militia decides they're going to go out and um, take the law into their own hands. And not even Yikes. the law. They're going to go out and take their... Uh, own moral whatever into their own hands and they go uh decide to do some gay bashing go to the local gay bar and let them know that the new order is here and they're gonna not take any of their guff uh but in their roughing people up they actually kill a guy by mistake total accident uh, but their leader decides that the only way to deal with this accident is to just murder everyone at the bar so Whoa. someone escapes and looks for refuge and ends up in this apartment building and then it's a standoff of there they want to get in that building and get that guy and uh it's really good it's 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 a lot of fun uh, it's very canadian um it manages it does that thing that you want which is the beginning part where they're in the bar and they're harassing all these poor lgbtq people it's harsh but it's never like crazy over the line it suggests it could go there at any moment so you have that anxiety of like oh fuck where is this movie gonna go and then it yeah. you know even when it goes dark and he starts killing the people it's filmed in a way i'm sure this was actually probably a i'm, I'm saying this is a taste thing it's probably more of a budget thing that they couldn't actually show anything too gory because they just didn't have the budget for it but it doesn't matter because it makes that scene though tense not upsetting and then when he escapes and they start to have a battle that all makes it a lot i don't know enjoyable i love seeing these right-wing jagoffs get what they deserve so um <laughs> you know it's 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 just that kind of movie i think uh it's very canadian but it's very good i really enjoyed it it's very um, canadian i would but highly it's very recommend good. it much like our friend yeah. doug Clay. but go on it's true. It's true. Uh, then the uh, movie number two was a British film called The Fast Kill um, from 1972, directed by Lindsay uh, Shontef. Didn't love it. It's very stylish. It's a very stylish uh, heist movie, but I felt like it was poorly edited or paced or something. It just it dragged in ways that I didn't understand why this was happening. You know, it was just kind of like one of those like, why are we focused on this? I don't know. It didn't have the the tension that I wanted. I don't know. So, uh, movie number three is a movie called Sudden Death, directed by Eddie Romero. Uh, definitely a Filipino movie. <laughs> yeah, how or, was it? Was um, it good? A movie filmed in the Philippines. Was it like the uh, Big Bill Cage I, or like one of those like Sid Haig movies? I d- like I I did not watch oh. it. Yeah, because right. you were like, yeah. I'm probably not going to talk to a Filipino about the movies I see at X Fest. Let's skip this one. No, what what happened was I just started talking to a friend of the show, Justin Miller, and I lost track of time and realized I had m- missed most of the movie. But right. Good uh, work. it stars 
Well, you know, things happen. I know. It stars Robert Conrad, Don Stroud, Connie Mason, Felton Perry, and John Ashley. Uh, people seem to really like it. I, I, my response to this was to to try to get a cop. I'm trying to get a copy of it, so we'll see if I can find a copy okay. of it. Uh, then up next was Escape from the Bronx, uh, a movie I've seen a few times, but I really enjoy it. Um, it is a sequel to um, Bronx Bronx Warrior, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. Then up next is a movie. Again, it's listed on IMDb as Hang Up. Uh, the it, we saw it run under the title Super Dude. Super Dude. <laughs> it's actually not. I mean, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Uh, the the tagline is His job was busting junkies. His mistake was loving one. <laughs> a rookie cop on the undercover narcotics squad falls for the junkie who can help him nab a ruthless pusher killer. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a black exploitation film, a little a little bit, you know, unfortunately pro-cop. As we all know, I prefer black exploitation films that are about fighting the man. This one, our hero is the man to some extent, but he also, at a certain point, kind of goes off when the system isn't letting him get the revenge he wants he kind of goes off on his own i kind of like that too so um i really liked it i think it is a little slow at first but it makes up for it in the end the ending is really bonkers crazy weird then the next movie was a, a movie called a fistful of talons Whoa. i believe that's the it one is. that all you guys were talking about afterwards it is a 1983 uh, kung fu movie um, directed by Sun Chung. It is kind of a more of like a kung fu comedy kind of movie. Uh, and I think some people really liked it. I think some people felt like the end was the best part. I missed the beginning, but I saw most of it and I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, I yeah. like the fighting in it. You know, I'm a I, I like kung fu movies. So yeah, of course. It, as long as as long as the fighting doesn't drag, I'm I'm usually pretty in. I'm not sure that all the jokes worked, but also it was a really bad dub. I feel like if you could find a, a subtitle copy, it might actually be a funnier movie. But it culminates in a really long, really awesome fight sequence that the details of which are insane enough that when it happens, it will make having watched the whole movie, even if you didn't like it. <laughs> worth it right that so the, some of the very people who thought the movie was not that great were so entirely enamored of the ending <laughs> so i don't want to i don't want to spoil it for anyone but suffice it to say it's really great uh and then the last movie of the night was a movie called survival run from 1979 uh unfortunately i only got to watch part of this and then i had to come home you know it's hard for me to be out yeah late. yeah yeah especially <laughs> just, when you have a two-hour drive just, to get home afterwards yeah 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 it's just it was just a long night for me so i had to uh had to bow out but it was on track it was very on track i'm gonna miss x fest i hope they can find a new venue for it uh you know they're they're opening their the exhumed is opening their own spot uh but i think in order to have the kind of crowd that they have for x fest it'd be cool if they if lightbox had a place that they could go right, eventually right, right. that would be good the exhumed so, spot's gonna be in jersey though yeah it yeah, is it's it called is, the it is. space and uh, I'm sure you can find it on Facebook if you want to be a supporter of them, uh, which I we yeah. uh, we both agree you should be because that place is awesome and those people are awesome for film culture in Philadelphia and for the preservation of actual film. So um, I know we talk about Exhumed events a lot, but also the people that are behind it, those guys are aces, and uh, we love them. So support them yep. any way you can. I uh, I I think though that the the spaces 
might not have the size they want for X-Fest. So I do hope they find another venue just because I love how big both X-Fest and Hearth. I like having the big crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And just how so big hopefully... they've grown since they started. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that's about it movie-wise. Um, I haven't really had a chance to do much else. I will. I guess we didn't really talk about Endgame. No, huh? we kind of didn't. Oh, man. Yeah. So I saw Endgame and you saw Endgame. We did. I am in the... I, I, this is me a lot lately. I'm in the mixed camp when it comes to Endgame. Yeah. I think, uh, I think overall I'm pretty satisfied with it. I think there's a few things that were kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. I don't... I don't know that everyone's criticisms work for me, but I, I understand why not everyone is satisfied. Let's put it that way. Fair I enough. get why people. some people thought it was kind of stupid. Um, I wouldn't go that far. And in fact, I saw it with Suze. She really loved it. Yeah. I left just feeling a, just a teeny bit frustrated with it. But honestly, this is this is why it really doesn't matter. I left frustrated. And then right now I'm like, I don't remember why. Who cares? <laughs> because I think that's the problem is that like as much as I'm like, oh, this is a culmination of all these movies. And I'm so excited. You know, not just a couple weeks after I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Like I, I, I can't rewatch Infinity War. I have it. I could just rewatch it. I can't do it. I don't care. Um, and I feel like that's weird for me because I'm such a huge comic nerd. And there were definitely some very nerdy moments for me. Um, I, I one thing I will say that has really gotten on my nerves, and I I don't know, no one is gonna know we said this, but I'm just gonna put it out there. Um, I get why people are criticizing the time travel angle of the film, mm-hmm. and people have been like, oh, the time travel doesn't really work, right? But technically, they do address that, and I keep seeing hearing people say, well, they set up the rules and then they break the rules, and I'm like, no, 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 no. They very specifically say all the rules are wrong. You can't change the past. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It just is what it is. Right. Now, you might think that's stupid. And if you do, I kind of agree. I think that's weird. And I think it's a weird thing to do. But people keep criticizing it not for the time travel itself, but for the movie, like, not explaining it or going against its own explanation. And those people were not paying attention. (laughs) Because they're going off of the Ant-Man thing, where Ant-Man says a bunch of stuff about Back to the Future. But then they do the actual science and they keep saying it over and over again that you can't change the past. And so that's why even with the even with the Captain America thing, which is pretty ridiculous that he goes and lives his whole life or whatever, the idea is he can do that because the past is already the past. He can't really change it. He can live in it, but he, he can't change the future based upon the past because the future the present is now his past. So again, you can hate that explanation, but you can't pretend the movie didn't make that yeah, explanation. That, that's so. right. You can't pretend that the movie didn't attempt to explain itself in this way right right yeah um i liked it though i thought it was fun i mean like you know it's funny because i remember when we first talked about uh infinity war was that the episode with andy nelson was that the one i think so yeah yeah. and uh andy was like very prophetic in his whole like well it's not is the bubble gonna burst it's when and uh i'm not gonna say that the bubbles burst for me already but i definitely feel like i'm good at this point you know what i mean and uh just like you said, a couple of weeks later, like everyone was like in a ramshackle rush to get to go see it before it got spoiled by everyone else. Uh, we didn't see it until like maybe a week after, and it was fine. Um, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. And uh, and the other thing that actually has uh, tainted my uh, perception of these movies is speaking with Ariel, proprietor of uh, Amalgam Comic Books, 
where um, we had talked about it at length, and she, you know, like me, she enjoys the movies, and they're fine. But given that they're so divergent from the source material and all that stuff, her contention is that all of these Marvel movies are now fan fiction, and that they're essentially outside of the canon. And that's why it's irritating when things like the books change to accommodate the cinematic universe and all that stuff. But that said, it's fan fiction ultimately, so... You either enjoy it or you don't. It's like watching, su- like it's like watching my nephew play with the toys that me and my brother played with when we were kids. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's seeing, it's just seeing another person's perception of it. And again, it's fan fiction. It's not what, it's not what the books were. So it's fine. And so whatever you do is just whatever. And uh, it's kind of that's how I I feel about like the whole thing at this point. Like, yeah, you know, I get it. Sure. And then, like, the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home comes out, and you got Mysterio in there, who's in there because of, like, X, Y, and Z from Infinity War and uh, from Endgame. And I get it. It's cool. But it's also like, yeah, more fan fiction. Let's just do it. So uh, that being said, I thought it was a fine, you know, action movie. I get that it was a good combination of a 22-movie story arc. And uh, I've been with it this whole time, so it's just fine. I'm into it. It's okay. I enjoyed it. I uh, I think I take issue with what you're saying. That's okay. You're allowed to be wrong. But go on. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that I my my two immediate responses are this. One, I don't like using fan fiction as a pejorative. I never said it was a pejorative. I definitely. I it's mean, its own I mean that's but that's the thing. I think that's not true because there is no original really anymore. Marvel's reset the timeline so many times, even before there were any movies, that there is no original for which this is simply an homage because the original doesn't know what it is. Uh, Plus, and this is my feeling about this movie as well as about Game of Thrones, uh, often the fan fiction is more interesting anyway. (laughs) And, And my issue with these things is that it's not fan fiction enough. If Game of Thrones listened to the fan fiction, we might have a better show. Wow. Uh, I feel the same about Endgame. The theories that were crazy were better and more interesting <laughs> than what actually happened. That doesn't mean what actually happened is bad, but I like the fan theories. I, I wish some of them had been true. I wish we'd gotten an Adam Warlock. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get why we didn't. I wish... Uh, I wish... Uh, I don't even remember which Game of Thrones theories I'm thinking of, but point is... I think that the idea that I mean I'm not saying you're using fan fiction as an insult, but the idea is like there's an original that's more important, and then there's this other thing, and it's like well I don't really buy that anymore because without the other, especially in, with the MCU, without the MCU, Marvel would have been tits up and we wouldn't have Marvel anymore. Okay, you know the, yeah. the only reason the only reason it's economically viable it's because it's a money is because maker. of the yeah, MCU. Yeah, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I happen to think it would be better business practice to not alter the comics in favor of the movies because I don't think people go to the comics to read the same shit that's in the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they do that because they want more. They want different. They want something else. Um, so, like, I do think that's a bad practice, but I don't think it's fair. To, at this point, I get why someone might make that decision, because the comics are just there to give legitimacy to the movies. The movies is what's happening. The comics are not what's happening. Yeah, the comics are from so, 20, 30 years ago. I get it. But I don't know. Eh, agree to disagree. I'm fine with it. <laughs> 
Anyway, anyway, I think some of I think some of these fan theory people should be getting jobs at Marvel. That's all I'm hey, saying. I'm not opposed and, to that. And, and, and at HBO for that matter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I there were a couple of moments in Endgame I found really great though, but uh, that's about it. Fair. Um, Me too. So uh, what else was I going to talk about? Oh yeah, uh, a couple of music things. One that band Fury just put out a new uh, record called Failed Entertainment. That I really like. I think it's really yeah, good. Yeah, I listened to it on your recommendation. I really like it as well. I know. I, I, I even put it out there on the interwebs, and a couple people checked it out and said they really liked it. I think it's it's got some real kind of like crossovery appeal, I think. I think uh, people would get into it who don't normally like maybe our music recommendations in general. <laughs> that are here more uh, but for I the think it's, as opposed to the punks. I get it. Yeah, right, right, right. But I, but I think it's very good. Uh, so I recommend it. And then um, this past Sunday... I uh, I went to a show. I haven't been to a show in a very long time. Yeah, two years. Um, I know. It's been so long. And this one, it was basically uh, a lot of things sort of combined. It's like I had the time. Justin was going to drive. It was in Quakertown, so it was a lot closer. Uh, it was a fundraiser for a charity. And um, it was so, so the show was this uh, Philly Unity Barbecue. So they just booked like a ton of Philly bands. Yep. So like... In one day, I got to catch up with like eight bands. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I had yeah, never yeah. seen. I had never seen Lux. I had never seen uh, Pain Strikes. I had never seen. I never even seen the Dividing Line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had never seen Fixation or Drowse or Chemical Fix. Like it was just so much stuff in one day that I was like, "Wow, I, I'm I'm feeling pretty caught up." You know. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think the only band that played that I managed to see that I had seen before was uh, Please Die. And they were really good. Like they were actually better than the last time I saw them. So it was like the one thing that was like a, a double dip for me. I was also still stoked about because they were very very good. Um, and you know that's and also these were all like friends bands. Like yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. the homie Mikey Hooligan and Lux is you know uh, Joey, Joey and Kelsey. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Like um, it, it, there were so many bands that played. Even like. Um, Payback, you know, Keith Gallagher and all these people. And oh my God, Keith was so good as a frontman. I don't, I'll be honest, I, that demo is like not my favorite per se, but seeing them live was this whole other experience and it was really great. Yeah, so I saw video clips and Keith was going for it. It looked like everybody was losing their shit. Yeah, it was a huge response, just unbelievable. So that was fun to be at. You know, it was a little awkward for, you know, a few things, but, uh, Overall, it was a good time, and I'm glad I went. And now, hopefully, I've broken the, I've broken the streaks, and so now I can go to more things. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I wish people would have more things in Quaker Town. Yeah. <laughs> <you> to to. <laughs> well, or just the Valley. I wish there were shows of the. Like, I was like, man, I can't believe it's been two years, and then I realized, like, yeah, but it's not like there's been anything, almost anything in the Valley that I could have gone to. You know, there's right, only a right, few right, things right, here right. and there. There there have been a couple. It's not like there's nothing, but there really hasn't been that much stuff that, like, is within easy driving distance, so I don't feel that bad, but I do feel a little bad. So it is <laughs> don't feel badly. Anyways. Anyways. Anyways, what's going on with you, Josh? So, one of the things that I did was Melani and I, on the weekend that you went to X-Fest, the reason that we had missed X-Fest, other than the fact that I'm really not so much an exploitation film fan, although... I am an Exum fan, and I'm a Liam O'Donnell fan, so any opportunity I get to experience both of those things I would like gladly go to, um, was that Melani and I went to Rochester, New York, for the fifth annual Nitrate Picture Show, 
Um, the Nitrate Picture Show uh, happens at the George Eastman Museum in the Dryden Theater right in there. And uh, basically what it is is they screen a bunch of movies that they don't announce ahead of time that are all on 35-millimeter nitrate print. So for those of you who don't know, nitrate used to be the emulsion base that they used to use to make film strips uh, before 1951. And in 1951, they had switched to acetate as the film base because what w the problem with nitrate is that it's highly flammable. So in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, like or, well, early... 1950, um, you know, the problem would be that they would be screening movies through like a projector that would get hot and the base was highly flammable. So there's like a whole process. And um, there's a lot of things like fail safes and all that stuff that were in place. But, you know, if you've ever seen Cinema Paradiso, um, you know that there's like scenes where like there's the tin can of film that the, the kid saves under his bed and they catch on fire and the mom's afraid that it's going to make the bed catch on fire and kill the children and all that stuff. It's because of this nitrate-based film. So as you can probably imagine, these films don't really survive up until now, you know, into 2019. Uh, the George Eastman Museum, in conjunction with, like, the UCLA Film Laboratory and, like, uh, the Vienna Film Conservatory and, like, all these other places throughout the world, they make uh, huge efforts in preserving nitrate film. So um, we got to screen a whole weekend's worth of movies all on nitrate prints. And um, this is me and Melani's second time going there. So um, we went last year for the first time just because we heard, like, oh, man, they're filming, they're, they're screening stuff on nitrate. That's insane. Let's go. And we did. And it ended up being, like, a really awesome vacation. So, you know, we were, like, we're coming every year that we possibly can. So this year was our second year going. And again, we saw a bunch of amazing movies. And like the funny thing is, like, so the first thing that we did for the weekend was we got to tour the George Eastman vaults, which has all the movies on nitrate reels in the vaults. And um, it's a crazy tour. If you do end up in Rochester for the nitrate picture show, I would strongly suggest taking advantage of the ancillary tours that they have going on at the George Eastman Museum. Um, in addition to the screenings, because they're so informative, like we got to see how the nitrate prints were actually made. And then um, this year is the first year we got to do the vault tour. And I managed to like they let you touch the reels, which is insane because the reels are all from like the 30s and stuff. If not before then, I got to touch a print of a movie that was filmed in 1900 by Lumiere. And uh, yeah, it was from 1900. And like you put on these white gloves and you can touch them. And it's the actual negative that was in the camera when he was filming. So, you know, this kind of thing, I know it speaks to a specific sect of film um, appreciator and me and Melani are very clearly in that set as are you Liam I'm pretty sure you're like you love the art of seeing movies cast on film right like that's yeah that's our thing so like we got to like you know it's I got to hold a print of Gone with the Wind made from 1939 you know or 1936 it's crazy because like that was the film that was in the camera when you know Clark Gable was there like and Annie get your gun we saw a print of um Wizard of Oz, like all these things. And it's just, it's wild to, to just see it and touch it and to realize that you're in the presence of like these actual relics of a time past. You know what I mean? And I, I know that that's kind of like a hokey thing to talk about. Like, you know, there's these weird talismans of an old pastime. But to me, there's magic in there and I still love it. And uh, we saw a bunch of movies like the the way it works is like the so you go there the Friday night and they open the festival with a screening of shorts. So we saw a bunch of shorts. The first one that they showed was actually from 1942, directed by John Ford, 
when he was enlisted in the military and I believe he was in the Air Force and he filmed the Battle of Midway. So understand this. It's a movie that was shot in battle because John Ford was an enlisted right. man. And um, it's it's his actual battle time footage of the Battle of Midway, which is insane because it's from 42. And then um, there was a, a, a Warner Brothers cartoon called Spooner Crooner. That was from 1944. It was pretty funny. And then, uh, the, do you know about Paltoons? Do you know what those are? No. They were films that were shot, like shorts that were shot in the 40s by this guy named George Pal. And they were like stop animated movies. So we saw one called Tulip Shall Grow, which was about uh, the Dutch people in Amsterdam during World War II. So that was from 1942. That was awesome. And then we saw a couple movies that were like travel talks. So one was uh, a Fitzpatrick travel talk that was like real popular in the 40s and it was called Looking at London. And that was from 1946. It was uh, just like kind of like talking about London post World War II. And then there was Gardens of the Sea, which was a Lowell Thomas movie tone reel from 1947. And that was like uh, if you ever seen like uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea with uh, with Kirk Douglas, it's kind of like that. Like it was uh, it was it was pretty wild like nature film. And then. Um, there was one from 47 called Landscape of the Norse. And then there were two more uh, cartoons that we saw. Uh, one was called The Cobweb Hotel from 1936. And then the next one was called The Temperamental Lion from 1939. Those are fun. So that was the shorts program. All on, on 35 millimeter nitrate print. Then we get to the freaking crazy shit. So we started, the first feature that they played was L'Age Dior by Louis Bunuel from 1930. And then we followed that with uh, Preston Sturge's 1949 movie, The the beautiful blonde from bashful bend and that was pretty wild that was uh like a full color movie and um it was uh it not only like the main star in the movie was um uh what's her name um betty grable but the bad guy in the movie was played by uh batman villain uh caesar romero a very young caesar romero oh sure yeah, yeah. pretty awesome that's from 1949 and then we saw Nightmare. Oh, yeah. So that was like all of Friday Friday night, right? The shorts and then those two features. And then we came back Saturday and we saw a movie from 1947 by Edmund Golding called Nightmare Alley starring Tyrone Powers. And that movie was awesome. That movie's about a, a carnival, like a, a group of carnies. And uh, the one guy is a mentalist played by Tyrone Powers. And like it's his like rise and fall as he becomes like super popular and famous and then like eventually a descent and so on and so forth. And then we saw two movies from um from I believe they were from Finland. One was called Strandhug and the next one was called Imset Suviosa. The first one is from nineteen fifty and the second one is nineteen forty eight. Um they always have those in the middle of this of of the weekend. And that like last year we got to see Ingmar Bergman's Summerlek. So it was pretty awesome. So it's kinda like that weird like European uh, central movie. And then after that, we saw a Gordon Douglas movie called The Nevadan, which was amazing. But then the centerpiece for me, the the main movie that we were super psyched on was the 1940 Alfred Hitchcock Rebecca, which um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it is a glorious noir movie. And it's the one movie that uh, Hitchcock won uh, Best Picture for, I believe. It is lovely. It is an amazing movie, and seeing it on nitrate just made it that much more real, and and like it felt so good to watch. And then we saw Dead Reckoning, which uh, starred um, Humphrey Bogart, directed by uh, John Cromwell from 1947. And then we followed that with Counselor at Law. Uh, it was a William Wyler film from 1933, and it starred uh, John Barrymore, The Profile. So uh, that was pretty good. 
And then the last movie of every festival is called The Date with Nitrate. And basically they show a movie that they don't announce at all until that screening. And this year it was a movie called Gone to Earth. Uh, directed by Michael Power and Emmerich Pressburger from 1950. So, uh, yeah, so that was all the movies that we saw. And it was all awesome. I mean, like, you know, I was talking to the program director and his uh, he, his whole thing was like, you know, people see movies and they see them as a modality that you can look through a frame into a time and a place. But other people see movies, especially people who come to this festival, as like a mirror that reflects the society that made the movie at the time. And that's why seeing it in Nitrate yeah, is it feels so strange and alien to us in 2019, but I love it so much, and we will be there next year as well. So uh, yeah, that's definitely on track. I loved it. it was so great, just such a good. I mean, like the the George Eastman Museum is cool, and um, there's a lot of cool stuff there too. And then also in Rochester, that's where Kodak was based. So they had like we got to do tours of the Kodak Museum, and like you got to see where like they made all like the negatives and all that stuff, and that was really fun too. And uh, sure. overall, it was a pretty great uh, vacation and trip. And it's one of the film festivals that I've been to that I truly do recommend for people if they are willing to travel and see a piece of cinematic history. That's the one. Yeah. I love how excited you get every time you go. Yeah, It's so funny because so much of what we sort of focus on when we're doing film stuff is like whatever's new and exciting and fun. And so the fact that you regularly go to this thing that's like <laughs> yeah. as old as possible right. is really cool. I will say it's funny because, you know, I mean, dude, we're cinepunks, right? Like we're covered in tattoos and we watch, we listen to punk rock music. And then I go to these things with Melani and we're typically the only minorities there, you know, and right. like we're the only tattooed people there. And this year there was a lot more young people, which felt cooler as compared to last year. But there was a moment like so in between movies, you can like take breaks in the lounge and stuff and like people hang out and get food and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I was wearing a cardigan sweater and it got a little warm and I took off the cardigan and I heard an audible gasp because apparently nobody who goes to this thing and sees me and Milani there knows that we're covered in tattoos because <laughs> we always wear right. long sleeves because it always happens at the beginning of May. So it was uh, really weird. But, uh, yeah, it was one of those things. I heard the gasp and I looked at Milani. I was like. Still got it. Still got it. Intimidating white people. We're into it. But uh, yeah, so that was on track. And that's what I got. Nothing a whack. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about Cleo uh, 5 to 7. Yep. After the break.
And we're back. So we are here to discuss the films of Agnes Varda. Now, I'm not going to pretend to you, Liam, that like I had known about Varda's movies until she had passed away and it became like this big cinematic thing that went through like all the ripples of social media, especially since we're charter members of the um, Criterion channel and all that stuff. Like I didn't know anything about it, but hearing about it and then doing the research retroactively, uh, I've come to find that there are a lot of movies that she had done that I'd heard of but had never seen. And it was uh, it was definitely an interesting watch to watch Cleo five to seven. So, what is your relationship with Varda? I vaguely knew who she was as the only sort of uh, female, not maybe the only, but the major female figure of the French New Wave. Yeah. That was mostly like a boys' club, and she could hang. I knew that. I knew uh, Cleo five to seven, though I hadn't seen it. Um, and I knew a couple of her other movies, uh, but then I also knew that she was still doing stuff now. She had become more of a documentarian, and she just had that movie come out. Was that last year? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was that? Pictures? I forget the name of it. Pictures something or? I don't know. I don't remember. If only there was Sorry. a computer in our pockets that we could look at. I know. Mm, <laughs> somebody did research. Someone has notes. Yeah, but they my notes are on the movie Cleo 5 to 7, not so much the. <laughs> I know. I know. It's God. so bad. God damn it, anyway. But hey. Uh, see what we're doing. Uh, trash. Uh, Faces Places remember 2017. When, remember, that was the movie. Yeah, the there it is. I was looking at I was looking it up too. That's funny. Uh yeah, Faces Places. Uh so anyways, so I knew a little bit about it that way, but I hadn't seen anything. Um and this so this is my first Varda movie. I, I think we're saying that right, by the way. Yeah, I believe that's how, how it's pronounced. I mean I did take the time to watch some of the other vignettes and stuff and uh, her reactions to like so after uh, maybe like Maybe in like '86 or something, she did a little documentary on Cleo Five to Seven. So sure. I watched that also in preparation for this episode because, uh, you know, it seemed pertinent. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I believe she says Varda in it. But anyway, yeah. Did you did you listen to that episode of Linoleum Knife? I actually did not have a chance to. Oh, you jag off. Yeah, edit that out, Jacob. <laughs> uh, just because they, they did a whole like uh, recently deceased filmmakers thing and the stuff they said about Agnes Varda was very very good yeah um, so uh, anyways yeah I had not gotten to see much about her uh, and it's one of those things where it's like I hate to, that it's like oh she passed away and now I'm gonna try to catch up with her stuff but that is that just that just be how it be sometimes yeah, you sometimes know like you don't catch that shit so you know you gotta do your best I'm okay with yeah. that that's not the worst thing we've done man and this seems like, this seems like an okay place to start you know I, I guess we could have started chronologically with some of her early shorts and stuff but uh, this is you know her her big getting to go to can movie one of her first big sort of like acknowledged by a lot of people films and uh, and it you know I think it was her first movie that was put on the Criterion, so it makes sense that we uh, watch that. it on the Criterion well, channel. Here's yeah, the yeah. Other thing. If you're gonna rebuke the Cinebunk's credentials for talking about movies on the basis of us not having seen a Varda movie until <laughs> she passed, then sir or a lady uh, or non-binary, I don't know, you can already rebuke our credentials, and that's fine with us. We're just gonna keep on doing what we do. So that said, I mean, you know, I don't. I'm not too worried about that because I don't think we are based 
I don't think we base our thing on credential. Like, I don't think the thesis of the show is like we are. We know these highly so credential movie credits. We know yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was glad. I was glad that we that you wanted to cover this and made time make time for it because um, I am not a charter member of the Criterion. In fact, I am. Uh, gonna cancel my subscription as soon as i'm done so <laughs> yeah as soon as you're done because huh? i'm okay yeah like it, what the moment this episode is recorded see you later I'm, criterion liam yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah okay fair enough we're not gonna talk about it. we're gonna talk about Vard. um so what were your thoughts watching this movie liam how did you feel watching it's really interesting that it, so the the movie starts with this um with this tarot card reading in full color and that yeah, the tarot cards are in color, but the characters are in black and white, and it it kind of creates this idea that like the tarot cards are like fantasy, and the black and white is like reality. Yeah. That's exactly um, what Varda said in the interview about it. She talks about how oh good she dude. shoots the tarot in full color because the full color is fantasy, and that's the only portion followed by ninety minutes of reality in black and white that is fantasy in the movie. Yeah, but it, but there is an aspect to the film that is like it feels it. So uh, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a film um, about a not quite successful singer who is waiting on um, test results. She's worried she has something serious. Uh, it's revealed. Pretty early on, it could be cancer. Basically, the fortune teller, after she leaves, like says to 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 the person, like, you know, I saw cancer in the cards, and I didn't want to tell, her. I didn't want to bum her out, you know? yeah, 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 because uh, it'd be bud. And I and I I do kind of like that. I kind of like the idea. The movie starts off with this sort of weird thing with the cards, but to have the fortune teller, like the fortune teller knows what's going on, that the reason the fortune teller is being so vague is because it's actually bad for business to have a, have a reader, have a read where you're like, Oh, you got, you got the cancer, buddy. Oh man, I see it in your cards. You're going to die from the cancer. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. So because she's being very evasive and I, I took that evasiveness as an indication that she's a huckster and in a way she is, but just because she's a huckster doesn't mean, she what she's what the what makes her carny is that she doesn't want to give you bad news. She's trying to manipulate you, but her ability to see your future, well, that's real. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I love that sort of uh, aspect of the movie. Uh, but anyways, the point is is she she has this experience in it, even though the fortune teller doesn't directly tell her anything too negative, it kind of puts her in a mood and and the rest of the day is her kind of moving forward. and um, What's interesting is that she is, she kind of comes across, I don't, I don't know if I want to say shallow, but she's not, she's she's focused on her career, she's very focused on image stuff, and there's a lot of imagery in the beginning of the movie of her looking at herself and looking in mirrors, and she, there's this whole sequence where she's trying to pick out a hat that is like kind of cute, but kind of like tedious as well, um, and part of what's happening in the film is that it's kind of moving in real time uh not quite but 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 um the idea is that uh we're just seeing these segments of time in her life and and the people she interacts with and what's going on and at a certain point um she her day kind of takes a turn and it culminates uh she she hangs out with a friend and they you know sort of travel around the city and in a car um 
in a car and and there's a lot of like great shots of Paris and uh, a lot of shots of clocks. I think they sort of give you this real time feel. So that had to be quite a work to make that work. Uh, and she ends up with this soldier and it, it, it kind of becomes about like, as she stops focusing on herself, like the rest of the movie, she's kind of more focused on other people. Uh, she has this moment where her crisis moment, sort of figuring out, what's wrong with her it creates this like almost like moment out of time with this soul she meets so so she meets this charming soldier and they're having a flirtatious relationship but as the movie ends and they seem very connected it's not about it doesn't feel like it's romantic in the most obvious way it's not that they've fallen in love it's like that they're sharing something uh almost like sacred like a yeah. sacred moment like a moment out of time a moment where they have this connection and it's not a connection based on sex or based on Attraction. love it's yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah, yeah. more it's, based on honesty yeah and, and in human experience so anyways that makes that's making it seem very dramatic and a lot of the movie isn't dramatic even though you know she's probably dying of cancer it manages to fill the movie with a lot of like everyday normal human ephemera while still under the surface being about does this person have cancer yeah. um and i think there's something about that that is very moving and and, and so as i was watching it i was um first impressed by her by uh, the director uh, uh Anya Fardas, uh skills as a director and, and the what the movie looked like and the pacing of the film, all those things were sort of on my mind. But then as it was sort of ending, I was more focused on the performances and just thinking about so much of this movie is carried by this actress and, and, and uh, her ability to make this character real and believable and whatever, like a real person in the world, but also, uh, entertaining yeah you know this her this name is, is uh corinne marchand she plays cleo yes 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 um so yeah so i i i was very impressed with it i don't know um it took me a while to get to the meaning of the end the end sort of just happens and i had to really think about yeah. it um yeah what, what were you thinking about the film well so the movie is to me a sprawling work of human development in this movie, you see Cleo go from... So the first half of the movie, you're right. She's looking in mirrors and she's um, talking to, like, you know, her songwriter and, like, all these things of, like, the people that are, like, focused on her. So basically, the first half of the movie is her being defined by outside eyes and by her reflection. Like, her handler and her, like, being even just wrapped up in the superstition of a Tuesday and you don't buy anything new or wear anything new on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like all these like superstitious things. And there are all these things that are put upon her. And then after she sings the song in the middle, which incidentally I think is one of the most powerful musical scenes in any movie that I've seen. And I've seen a lot of musicals and all that stuff, but that scene when the background blacks out and it's just the white silhouette of her singing uh, this like sad and elegiac song. It's such. It's it's very much a character trope of, or it's a character tale of who she is at that moment. And it's such. It's so beautifully done because her reaction to it after everybody is like blown away by this performance is how she's really upset by people's perceptions of her. 
And then that's when she goes from wearing white and the polka dot dress and all that stuff to wearing black. She says, and I'll wear black from then on. And so for the rest of the movie, she's wearing black and she wears the black hat. And from that point until the end, it's her moving away from her definition as presented by other people and filling out her definition of herself, which ends with her enlightenment, right? Because, you know, even though she gets the news that, you know, it's going to be a couple of uh, treatments of chemotherapy to set her right, she realizes then, like, that once that fear is gone, she no longer is afraid. And to me, that's, like, the most powerful transition from who she is at the beginning of the movie, which is basically this, like, about-to-be-pop star, which is almost like a marionette on strings, to the, the transference beyond fear to becoming the person that she is at the end and how it's defined not only in the reflection of Antoine, who is a soldier, but also from within. And the movie just spoke to me so much, not only as like a film appreciator, but also as a a musician, as an artist in my own right. You know what I mean? Like I get it that so much of an industry of, of production of creativity is based in reflection from other people's and their projection of what it is that you create. Whereas this movie takes that idea and uh, it reverses it. It essentially says, you know, she is the center of the universe in this movie and she has to present herself in a way that can be sustained. And that's what I got from the end of the movie, that she finally comes to grips with her responsibility in her life. And Hmm. uh, I found that to be very profound. It's so beautifully shot and uh, it's such a wonderful movie from start to finish. And it's funny too, because in the, in the documentary Varda talks about how she really did go through great lengths to make sure that all the clocks matched the time. So she, she went into making this movie with both the concept that time can be filmed in real time, but also that it has to have like an ephemeral feeling, like it has to have like this stretchy kind of feeling to it. And, um, so all the clocks that you pass are of the times that are noted in the chapter breaks because the movie is broken up into a bunch of chapters where certain time segments are are um, essayed, right? Like they're totally just like from 5.15 to 5.45, you know? And um, mm-hmm. supposedly it's shot in the real time of that, but the pieces are put together in such a time that like, in such a way that the time feels elastic. And um, right. I definitely, I definitely a, a loved the attention to that detail because it shows a great care in a filmmaking that you don't see very often anymore. You know what I mean? And if that's telling of the rest of her catalog, it's that she really does care about the story and that all these things go to serve the story. Um, The things that really resonated with me are like the scene right before she meets the soldier when she's in the park and walking down the stairs and pretending to be at a show like that scene just is so innocent and so like the yearning of of a person who looks to the stars and uh, i really really love that part um like i said the musical scene the the actress actually um what's her name um corinne marchand actually performed that that piece it wasn't an overdub she sang it herself and uh she wasn't exactly a singer like she didn't think of her or she wasn't a singer so that she performed it as they played the music and that everybody in that was in the crew when it was being filmed was like speechless at the end of it it's so awesome it's such a powerful and like moving scene to me i i just love the whole thing i I love the movie so much i liked the uh so that whole scene you know she's in her fancy ass apartment uh just this giant 
loft, you know, and these uh, the writers come in and it's so interesting her relationship with them, because on one hand, they are they're pitching her songs, you know, they're pitching her things, but they really have almost like a animosity with each other too because they're writing these things hoping she'll perform them she sort of gets a last say uh in the sense of like what she wants to do and what she doesn't on the other hand they get to control her they get to put these words in her mouth so it's like this uh weird relationship that they have where um she gets to pull a diva card you know what i mean and be like (laughs) well i don't want to do this but they get to decide what her images, you know, if they decide, like, that was the thing with that song. On one hand, the reason she clearly doesn't want to sing the, the, the that particular song, song yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's too real. Right. Like, that's who she, that's where she's at. And it's not, she's, she's feeling all these horrible death-like things, not because she's heartbroken, but because she might actually yeah. die. And I think that's the other aspect of the song, too, is that the song is projecting all these things that she's afraid of and worried about for a topic that I'm sure in the moment Nobody feels like nothing. Cause about. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. her, her own, her only lover is this like detached old man who has no time for her. Right. Basically, yeah. you know, like she, he comes over and, and he doesn't even have time to make out. Yeah. He's just like, all right, well, good to see you. Gotta go. Bye. And he's like very debonair, but he's also very not a part of her. And, and right. that's what makes the connection between her and the soldier at the end more palpable that you realize that like, She's only connected thus far to handlers and people that are trying to like engage her in ways that that benefit them. Yeah, and, uh, the honesty in her relationship with Antoine at the end—it's so real and it's so like it's so palpable. Like you can feel it. You know, it's funny too. Yeah. So in that final sequence, when uh, the doctor pulls up in the car and he tells her, you know. Well, basically, we found cancer in your stomach, but it's nothing that a couple treatments of chemotherapy won't be able to fix, and then you should be right as rain after that. So it's her and Antoine walking away from the hotel down the street, and Varda talks about the fact that, like, as they're walking, they look at each other, and there's this, like, the silent understanding that they both, the both actors managed to express, you know? And she catches the whole thing. But uh, maybe, like... um, a minute and a half into the sequence as they're walking down the strip on the, on the sidewalk in front of the hotel, the dolly tracks for the camera become visible between the two of them, even though they're blurry. So it was like the one thing that she was really upset about with herself as a director that she didn't catch it when it happened. So they tried to do a reshoot. So she got them, got the two actors to dress up in their, uh, costumes and then she tried to shoot it two or three more times and each time she wasn't able to catch the magic that they had uh given each other in the initial shooting so she just kept it in with the dolly tracks in the scene so when you watch that movie on the criterion channel it has the dolly tracks in between the two of them and you can see it clean like plain as day but it's funny because it's like it speaks to the fact that like you know what she caught like something genuine and despite the faults of the scene, she kept it in there because it served the story and it served the characters better. And uh, I find that to be very bold for a director. You know what I mean? Especially if you're like yeah. one of the only female directors that are working at the time and all these people are scrutinizing your work so closely because of it. You know, And this is a very feminist movie in that uh, Cleo figures out who she is and brings that to the forefront in the second half of the movie. 
And uh, that was all done by design. That was all Varda's purpose for this movie. And um, it's very effective. Very good. Well, and, and in the second half, we very much see her more like seeing people. You know, like yeah. in, in the first half, it's all about her seeing herself. Uh, and she, she's we, even when she's there's a scene where she's eavesdropping on some. Um, yeah, yeah, in the cafe. Yeah, but we still see her reflection. There's always this reflection, and then in the second half of the movie, we're more watching her as she's sort of seeing the people around her, seeing whether it's the weirdo frog swallowing guy yeah. or her friend who's um, a nude model or. And she also removes her wig and she puts on the black hat and, you know, she she wears the black. So you have to focus on her. Yeah. And it's she's such a beautiful lady, too. Like, she's so gorgeous in this movie and like easy to be enamored with. Like, she's so beautiful to me. And uh, that really does shine when she puts on the black dress. You know what I mean? Like, cause she's got sure. the blonde hair and like the white skin. Like, it's very shocking. And the juxtaposition is very ethereal. And um, again, works I mean, it, by design, you know, like that was what yeah, she planned. It's a very like, well, it has a few things about it. I mean, first of all, it, it very much pops in the black and white. Like it just looks really good. And I'm sure they probably used, you know, uh, it, it's it's weird because it's very much a low budget film. And it's actually really hard to film in a city like Paris. Uh, with no money and um, I'm sure lighting it was a nightmare and you know she talks about whatever the, but the it sequence, looks so good <laughs> the sequence when when uh, Antoine and Cleo meet in the park when they're sitting there right when they first meet each other she talks about yeah. how she made the crew get up like really early in the morning because they shot it in the summertime for uh, budget purposes and the whole idea was to shoot it in that golden hour at like five o'clock in the morning because the way the light reflected off the lawn made the they they shot it through a green filter and the lighting in addition to the green filter made the lawn look white which is what made what she wanted to make the whole movie look like have an ethereal air to it and yeah it's a very it's a very sort of like haunting right yeah. weird sequence it yeah, really yeah, really yeah. is and that was also by design which again speaks to a masterful filmmaker at the top of her game and also the other thing is that she was living in paris at the time of uh the filming of this movie and her daughter was three years old so she was on set with them the whole time yeah and, um it's it's awesome it's such a great work of art the other thing that I found to be really interesting about this movie is that Varda talks about how she was uh, influenced by uh, uh, a Baroque artist named Baldwin Green. And a mm-hmm. lot of his paintings, like they're actually photographs of his paintings in the sequences in Cleo's apartment. And uh, all of his paintings are uh, beautiful women being uh, whispered to by skeletons. So uh, there, there's the sequence where uh, Cleo's hanging while she's doing like her workout, wearing like the white uh, nighty or whatever, and um, right on the post, right next to where she's dangling, is a painting by this dude of like a lady that's being whispered to by a skeleton. And uh, I didn't catch it until I saw the documentary about it. But then afterwards, I went back and was like, oh yeah, it's just right there. And it's also throughout the movie in other spots too, I believe. But uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting that that was her her one of her main inspirations for this movie, which is like a woman that's haunted by the specter of death, which happens mm-hmm. in the first tarot card sequence. You know, it's pretty awesome, man. 
I don't know. <laughs> I, I really, really, really loved this movie. It was one of the ones that like I saw it and um, I had to chew on it for a bunch of days afterwards before I thought about it further. You know what I mean? Like it was such sure. a visceral uh, experience for me to watch this movie. And I really did love it. Yeah, I mean, it has a lot that I like. I mean, I any movie, um, any movie that makes the city look good, I really like. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is like it's not. There are certain images of Paris that you are almost too familiar with. You know what like I mean? The like Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, yeah. So this is like getting to see some other parts of this city that we all know from films and culture or whatever but um it also has uh the whole uh movie within a movie you know they go to the theater they're delivering film to a, a projectionist and there's a short you know he convinces them to stay and watch this short um and i i really liked that I really like that aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, the short, the short is kind of weird, but I kind of liked it too. I it was it's just funny. Yeah, but, Godard uh, is one of the characters in the short too. Jean Luc Godard and yep. Anna Karina. Like it's just funny because like I you know that 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 was the circle right. Like that was the French New Wave in <laughs> in the same movie as uh, yeah. I think that's really cool. So um, yeah, there's a, there's just a lot. It's you know. I don't know if there's more. There's probably more that people have said who are more, I guess, educated than we are. But whatever. <laughs> Always the case. Never once yeah. have I ever assumed that wasn't the case. But yeah, yeah. we're not experts. We're just fans. Uh, all I can say is, you know, this is very good. It makes me want to watch more of her films. So if you haven't seen anything, I think this is a good place to start. I don't. I haven't seen anyone suggest anything else is better. Yeah. As to where to go from here, I don't know. I'm very curious about her documentaries. You know, uh, I, one of the ones I'd heard of was The Gleaners and I, um, is one that I at least knew about before, you know, I was hugely sort of aware of who she was. I'd heard of that movie. Yeah. So maybe that's somewhere to go next. I, I don't really know. I also know that, you know, she was <clears throat> very involved in the work of her husband, Jacques Demy, who was also a big. Uh, figure in uh, new, new wave, wave stuff and that yeah yeah and yeah. the french new wave and, and they both eventually moved to the u.s and made movies in the u.s you know what i mean so um but you you might know jacques to me is umbrellas of chairboard yeah. and um, um the young girls of uh whatever and so uh rock rock fort rock fort rock fort yeah i don't know yeah 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 Anyways, point being is, I I would I I definitely think it's like yo, you know, if you're unfamiliar, it's worth doing. And I, and I think it's one of those things where <clears throat> people don't know where to start. You know, like you look at her filmography, it's so vast. there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot in there, and and there's a there's a lot of French, <laughs> and I think that people get scared. They're like, oh, it's a lot of French movies in here. And it's like, yeah, there is. It's okay. Like <laughs> you should jump in. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? If you're someone out there listening to this episode and you know more about uh, Agnes Varda and her uh, movies, tweet at us. Let us know where we should go next. Let us know what we should see and what we haven't seen. Like this is all we saw. So let us know what you think we should be watching because we love talking to you. Yeah, we don't have like a we don't actually have a set format for this show, but one of the things I think we've been trying to do more lately is um, 
try to catch stuff that we've never seen before. So I think this falls within that really well. And um, there's probably more stuff we're going to try to find and and whatever. So um, also, if you've liked one of these episodes where we're watching something that is like kind of unfamiliar to us uh, and you would like us to look into more of that then let us know you know we've done a few directors now and then not really gone back to their stuff Mm -hmm. so i think we'd be more than willing to revisit something if something particularly uh struck out to people you know yeah 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 so let us know let us know all right anything else you want to say liam uh no i mean i just you know this is a very uh beautiful um engaging film and and i'm very curious to to see more from her yeah 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 i truly did love this movie and i'm pretty excited to uh see what else they have under her uh her little uh her name in uh, the criterion channel so we're gonna watch more in the coming days hopefully all right so that's all we got on the topic of cleo from five to seven uh, again, we'd like to thank all of our Patreon subscribers, and uh, we'd like to thank the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creation for being such uh, beautiful supporters of Cinepunks. And uh, I would also like to thank our official sponsors, Philadelphia Chinatown Eddies, for my beautiful Cinepunks tattoo. And if you <laughs> need a tattoo of any variety, if you need a black and gray portrait, if you need some Japanese traditional, if you need some American traditional. Is this, is this just because you got that tattoo it's now? Not, you're, you're, you're. No. Everybody knows that I am loyal to my shop, and my shop <laughs> is Philadelphia Chinatown Eddie. So if you need tattoos, head on over there and let them know that Cinepunk sent you, and you can talk to uh, all the great artists that work there, and they will definitely treat you fairly and give you quality products. Conversely, if you want to have a tattoo removed, you can also go to The Finery, where, if you're a fan of 90s hardcore band Damnation AD, our friend Mike McTernan is working to remove tattoos. So if you need some uh, tattoos to be removed and want to blast the past, head over there. And if you ca- if you mention Center Punks or they'll give you half off your first treat. Okay, that's all I got. This is buzz. You're doing some buzz marketing hey, right man, now. Listen, cross-promotion is the way of the future, Liam. I don't know if you know. Yo, I'm all for it. Tell them to make their checks out to Liam A. <laughs> O'Donnell. Or Rough Cut Shirts. Yep. Oh, God. Hey, I guess that's true, Another cross. You see that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, we, we always put links uh, in the show notes. But just a reminder, you should check out Josh's bands, Aspect Ratio and Cross Keys. Yeah. And... I guess that's it, right? Because Hardcore Project, yet to be named, doesn't exist yet. Yeah, but it's coming. It will. It will. Don't worry yeah, about that, yeah. sir. Yep. And uh, go to Rough Cut uh, T-Shirts. Is it Rough Cut Shirts? It's just Rough Cut Shirts. Rough Cut Shirts. Yep. Yeah. And check out. We got some, some good stuff up there and uh, let people know about it. Some sick drops. Okay. And that's it. Episode 97 is done. Uh, we will see you guys again soon. Please rate, sub- rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, hey, if you got a friend that's like, yo, man, I like Green Day. I like uh, Spielberg. Maybe you want to tell them about your uh, friend's podcast, Cinepunks, where we discuss all the things. That was, that was, that was, those were painful references. You're welcome. Punk and movies, baby. <laughs> movies and punk. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. There you go. Episode 97 done. See you guys later. Smoke bomb.